Podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, and this is not the final Ion College Basketball Podcast of the year. We're going to do another one on Friday, but it is the next to last. And Norlander just published uh, a list of the biggest moments of 2016 in the sport of college basketball. So I wanted to go through that at the top of this episode. Then we're going to discuss another awful loss for Texas, and later we'll look ahead to uh, Virginia, Louisville, and UCLA, Oregon. But first, the list. I imagine uh, number one was pretty easy to identify, right? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm psyched that we're doing this little year-end review kind of stuff right now. And yeah, it was uh, it was an easy one to identify. Obviously, Villanova and Chris Jenkins taking care of business and capping off an unbelievable title game. And of course, Marcus Page's moment came even right before that. But uh, but GP, so I, I set out to do this, and it was 2016 was a rough year in a lot of respects. I mean, we we losing people by the freaking day with this Carrie Fisher, George Michael, like let's just get to 2017 as soon as possible here. But in terms of college hoops, great year for college basketball. Um, there was a lot that went down, uh, fantastic season overall. And my top five was Kansas, Oklahoma back on January 4th, just that triple OT epic buddy heel scored 46. I mean, we've almost gone a year since that GP. Fantastic game. It was fantastic. I believe it was the first big Monday game of the season. And, yeah, one of those games that, you know, once you do this for a while or once you get older, I guess, a lot of stuff just starts to blur. Like, you you know, I I can't – like, if you told me right now to start naming Nash, even like Final Four teams going back, while recognizing I've been to every Final Four since 2003, I I wouldn't remember some of them. Like, I mean, do you – uh, I wouldn't be able to do it off the top of my head. You'd, you'd say, "What about 2011?" And I'd go, oh. "I'd hit a, I'd hit a roadblock somewhere." Uh, my point is um, that Buddy Hield game, Kansas game. Like you'll remember, I'll remember that forever. Like you know that it is, it is one of the memorable games from the 2015-16 season, and, and absolutely belongs in the top five because it was awesome, but also because it, it sort of unofficially launched the Buddy Hill National Player of the Year campaign, which ultimately led to Buddy Hill being National Player of the Year. Yeah, so that is five, and that was an easy one to go at five, but I had to put it there because four was Middle Tennessee beating Michigan State, and the interesting thing about that was Michigan State really was like top, a top-two team down the final five, six weeks of the season last year. It should have been a one seed in my estimation. It gets the two. And that was the, it's the only case ever where there's been eight 15 over twos, right? It's the only one of those games where, I mean, don't get me wrong. Norfolk State really, you know, had a great game against Missouri. Lehigh played well against Duke. This was decisive start to finish. Middle Tennessee outplayed Michigan from the first minute to the 40th minute. They won by nine points. You had Denzel Valentine, obviously, who shared player of the year stuff with Buddy. I had that in the top 10. Um, but Middle Tennessee State shocking Michigan State the way it did and blowing up brackets in the process. Remember, Michigan State was a very trendy national title pick because they only lost once by one point at Purdue in like the previous five weeks. So they were really, really hot. Valentine was looking great. That was number four to me. I think you could argue that yeah. it is that, that that's the best team to ever lose its opening game in the NCAA yes. tournament. 
I that I we I remember us talking about that, Parrish. Yeah. I th- I think that is the case. In my opinion, that is the best team. You said it. That's the best team ever to lose its first game in the NCAA tournament. Um, so that's four. Mm-hmm. Number three is Texas A&M uh, coming back against Northern Iowa. Now, what I tried to put in perspective there is. It's the statistically greatest comeback in college basketball history. No team had ever been down by 12 points with less than a minute to go in any D1 game ever and, and won the game eventually. They were down actually with 12 by 12 technically with like 36 seconds to go. They wound up getting it to OT. They win in double OT, which is something I think people kind of forget after the fact. They didn't rally and win in regulation. They actually needed two extra sessions to finally beat Northern Iowa. And by the way, with Northern Iowa, it's on the list three times because – the Panthers had a crazy march. So first they get the auto bid by hitting a buzzer beater, Wes Washpun, in the Missouri Valley title game. That kick-started um, – I, I wrote, you know, everyone remembers the buzzer beater that ended the tournament. That's the one that actually started a terrific postseason in 2016 for college basketball. So that was a huge moment. I had that in the 40s. And then Northern Iowa had the incredible half-court shot by Paul Jesperson. I had that in the top ten. But A&M – the the historic aspect of the AM comeback GP is why I put it top three. But I will say this. I can't remember specifically what else was going on, but I think it was Wisconsin Xavier. I might be wrong. No, on you're that. exactly right. Bronson Canning hit a shot, and it was like you. I, I can't remember. I was in the CBS broadcast center because we were doing television, and, I, and we got a million televisions in, in that, you know, in what we call, I guess they call the bullpen, where you just sort of hang out and do research and prepare uh, before you have to go out to the set to do a halftime or a post game or whatever. And uh, I think, like, I had stopped. We 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 switched the volume from A and M Northern Iowa to Wisconsin. So unless you were actually like watching, uh, you know, A and M and Northern Iowa, you would have lost track of it because you weren't hearing the comeback. The you know you were just it was just on one of the screens. My point is, I didn't even realize it was happening when it was happening. I just sort of like moved on from that game. Because it was over. You don't like just like you said. You like it's literally never happened before. Down twelve with thirty six seconds to play, and they come back. And so, um, it everybody seemed to be focused on Wisconsin, Xavier, and then it ends up the ending of Northern Iowa and A and M overshadows what was an amazing game winning shot in its own right. You're right, and but the, so the case I make in the post is that. A lot of people watch the overtimes with A&M Northern Iowa, but the reality is right. not a lot of people in real time saw the A&M comeback because right. rightfully so. It was a double-digit game with less than a minute to go against a couple of – you know, those are not sexy teams. They didn't have big-time stars or anything like that, not hugely well-known coaches. So that was definitely a, a flip-away-from-it game. So the actual comeback, while it is a – right, in my opinion, it should be a top-three moment because of the historic significance and the epic – collapse it's not something that a lot of people experienced in real time it was just like oh crap by the way AM's within six they're within three the game is tied 10 12 seconds to go everyone was scurrying back so that i thought was pretty interesting number two i actually put this on twitter on tuesday night i had people try and guess no one accurately guessed number two to me it's news value it's significance um within basketball college basketball the sports world to me, can't really be overstated uh, in terms of sports people that we lost in 2016. I would argue that it, you know, I'm not in the business of ranking deaths, so to speak, but really it's Ali, Arnold Palmer, Pat Summit dying is certainly up there. I mean, she is one of the most significant coaches in sports history. The all time winningest coach at the D1 level completely changed 
uh, women's basketball entirely. And so her loss, it came back in June, to me is it's undeniable how much it impacted college basketball. But really it was more about her legacy, what will continue on. Um, I don't think you can, can really overstate GP what she meant to the sport and how significant her loss was in 2016. Well, just think about it in these terms. We don't write or talk about women's basketball. That's not our job. We, we, we talked about Pat Summit. We wrote about Pat Summit. I mean, she was, she was a, a, a figure so prominent that uh, she, she crossed all barriers. Um, she, she's one of the uh, best basketball coaches of all time. She's one of the most accomplished basketball coaches of all time. And I, I don't mean in women's basketball. I mean, period. And, um, you know, I, I won't pretend to have known her well. But, you know, I, growing up, you know, ba- you know basically, in, you know, I, I grew up five minutes from the Tennessee state line. Like the Lady Vols were a, a huge deal. Um, she was a, a prominent figure of like of my childhood. And, and I did get to spend some time with her um, out in L.A. one time. We were as stupid as it sounds, both speaking at a coaching clinic. Uh, so like imagine what it's like for me to like get up in front of an audience like you know 45 minutes after pat summit was talking like what do i have to offer Uh, but um afterward there was like a a a reception and and like out poolside and i just oddly uh coincidentally ended up at a table with pat and you would have thought that we were uh, like long lost pals you know she was uh, curious and interested and and asking me as many questions as I asked her. And I'm always sort of, uh, I don't know, Im- impressed by people who are larger than life figures who have, you know, you could argue the best at, certainly among the best at what they've ever done. And yet they're just as interested in other people as other people are in them. And she struck me that way. Just smart, funny, kind. And the idea that she would be gone already is just heartbreaking because yeah. uh, she should still be here. She should still be coaching. Like you look around at some of the a- the ages of, of the guys operating at the at the highest level of college basketball right now, whether it's Mike Shashevsky uh, or Roy Williams or Rick Pitino. Um, I believe they're all older than, yes. than Pat. And it's just for, first to have her mind robbed the way it was by that truly dreadful disease. And then to have her like gone, like really just gone is just uh, yes, it was a big story in sports, obviously a big story in college basketball, and I think you ranked it appropriately. Yeah, and it actually came in the same month that we lost Ali. So June was, in terms of uh, the departure of some significant sports figures, uh, big time. And the number one, obviously, it could be no nothing else than right. Chris Jenkins hitting the winning shot for Villanova. I also include Marcus Page hitting the shot before that because really it's the it's the best penultimate shot ever in a game. Uh, it happened right in front of me. I was fortunate enough to be sitting behind the Carolina bench. Um, and I, it was, I can still picture it in my mind seeing him do it because everyone sees the, the camera angle. That's the perspective everyone else can remember is the TV shot of it. But I remember seeing it from behind. And I actually remember thinking like it was a wild shot. And to me, it didn't look good when it went up. It falls in just – Carolina fans go nuts. I remember looking around and you get the seat cushions when you go to the final four. So you have, you know, the final four logo and the little soft padding to sit on every it's just they're getting tossed in the air. And that kind of happens every year. But this one was like the page shot was so ridiculous. (laughs) Carolina fans lost their mind. And then, of course, Jenkins on the trailer hits it. 
just a, a perfect shot. And the game was so well played, too, that, you know, that is part of it. I mean, the shot itself would be number one, even if it was an ugly game like Nova won 55-54. But overall, you know, good offense, good defense. Uh, Jenkins just so pure on that. And to me, it amounts to the best title game uh, ever. Um, I don't, you know, I haven't seen all of them, but certainly uh, in terms of attendance, I mean, that's just such a hard thing to to top. So that that is number one. But I do encourage everyone to, to go check out the list. I've got big events, small events. You know, I got Malik going for Malik Monk going for 47 is sure. in the top 10. You yeah. know, to me, it just happened. But that's a top 10 event of 2016 GP. No question. It's the event of this college basketball season so far. And, yeah. you know, certainly in the calendar year 2016, like I, I always think of these lists. I, there's some things that are just automatically have to be there. Right. Like a, a middle Tennessee win over Michigan State. Chris Jenkins shot, uh, whatever. But then there's there's moments that are memorable. Like when you when you think about this year, five years from now, ten years from now, if somebody says, "Hey, do you remember when?" Will you absolutely remember when? And you know, Buddy's forty six against Kansas um, is is a yes. You absolutely will remember that. Like I remember where I was. I remember what what, what I was doing while I was watching it. Yep. Um, you know, and, and Malik's 47 against North Carolina is the exact same way. Like Malik Monk can go into the NBA, be a lottery pick, um, you, know, you know, lead the NBA in scoring someday, be a dunk contest champion. Like whatever he accomplishes, um, you'll remember, you know, that, that Saturday in Las Vegas when he went for 47 against North Carolina. That will be a um, an all-time performance in his career no matter what his career uh, leads to from this point. Yeah, just a couple more quick ones before we move on. I had some fun things in there, like Michael Phelps being at Arizona State in the Speedo because he trained at Arizona State. This was, you know, well before the Rio Olympics and being part of the Curtain of Distraction. I want to get some fun things in there. I got, I got Torian Prince's epic so good. Uh, press. Dude, I mean, honest, it's so simple, but it's so good because, all right, so Yale beats Baylor, and, you know, it was a 12 over a 5. And it is very hard for these players. It's just the one thing where, like, you can't help but feel terrible for them every year. They're, you know, so many guys, their careers are going to end. Um, they got to face the the press. It's it's oftentimes the biggest thing that they've encountered the entire year because it's the tournament. There's more media. It's just it's a bigger deal altogether. So you go through this heartbreaking defeat, and it's it can be hard sometimes to sit up there on the dais for two, four, seven, eight minutes and take some questions that are tough. And sometimes you know you're pissed off. There's it's totally acceptable. I never fault a player in that situation. And so you I I embedded the video, and so it's it's a member of the media, and and he just simply goes, "How does Yale?" <laughs> rebound Baylor and you can see Prince is like still a little emotional like he's he's not happy about losing you know they don't want to lose to Baylor they don't want to get upset and he just literally defines what a rebound is I mean it was just one of those things where I don't even like it just became such an uh, a hilarious literal moment that I I might have even ranked I have it 22nd I might have ranked it too low oh it's too low it's too good it's like it is one of the all-time great college basketball press conference moments it really is (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you just put him in his place. It's it's so good. Like, so if you haven't seen it, like he basically said, the the guy is this 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 writer is so offended that Yale could out rebound Baylor. His point seemingly being, presumably being, this is little Yale from the Ivy League, and you're a Big Twelve school. How could you get out rebounded by Yale without recognizing like Yale was like one of the best rebounding teams in America last year. You know, they were fifth in offensive rebounding percentage and seventh in defensive rebounding percentage. So the question's rooted in just ignorance. Um, 
But it was also just the way he asked it. Like he, like it, it was like he lost money on the game, and he just went in there pissed off. And so uh, the Torian Prince is like, "Well, um, you know, when a shot goes up, uh, you know, you 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 grab it and uh, with two hands, and then you come down with it, and that's a rebound." And and they did that more times than we did that. <laughs> it's like yes. I, I, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically yes. it. And he said it like with the proper tone and the proper rhythm. It was perfect, just perfect. It- it really was. And, um, you know, there's, I got all three Grayson Allen tripping incidents in there. <laughs> Poor Grayson Allen. Because it's legit. But it's legit. These are the things that had the biggest impact. Like, I looked at the, some of the things that just had the most traction. Every time Grayson Allen tripped a dude, it was a national story. Obviously, that peaked last week. Mm-hmm. I have that in the top ten. I also have Krzyzewski and Dylan Brooks. Remember, that was a real thing for, like, 48 hours, GP. Like, the madness of the tournament. All we want to talk about was what Allen – I mean, what uh, – Krzyzewski said to Dylan Brooks in the handshake line after that. So stuff like that. And Oregon State, Jarmal Reed, he tripped a ref. It's so much worse. <laughs> it's so much worse than anything Grayson Allen's done. Like legitimately awful behavior. He was suspended four games. You can watch the video in the post. He makes eye contact, looks up at the official, blatantly trips him. It was a tie game at Utah. It's just hideously awful behavior. You could sp- suspend a dude for the rest of the season for all I care for that kind of stuff. So that was included. Like stuff like that where – I don't think people, if I asked you to name the top 25 things that happened in 2016, you would have remembered that an Oregon State player tripped rep. But, it's, but it's brutal, dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. the act itself. Oh, I remember hideous, it, so. but I, I wouldn't have thought of it off the top of my head. But I, exactly. remember, I remembered so, it when I saw it. And so it's stuff like that as well, yeah. GP. It was uh, Another good one in terms of just, uh, like, you, just, you'll rem- you remember it, even though it wasn't necessarily a significant basketball moment. But you'll remember the moment. Uh, and you listed it. Wayne Seldon's dunk and his uncle's reaction. Oh my gosh, man! Too Uncle good. Anthony, <laughs> so good. <laughs> I mean, oh boy, and I—it's uh, just amazing. And the, actually, the video I have isn't the longer video. If you if you go to YouTube and, and check it out, the longer video is his uncle's reaction, and he like kind of keeps going. And the security guard kind of goes up to him, and his uncle's like, "Dude, I'm okay. I'm okay, man." <laughs> and I want to be like, "Dude," secu- to the security guy, like, just. Chill the f out, man. That's that's his nephew out there. That was a huge moment because the dunk is legit. Like it was a top ten dunk in 2016. Fantastic moment. But yeah, just fun stuff like that. Right. It was um it was one hell of a year, man. I mean, for for good and for bad, there are some certainly some sad things on the list as well. Pro Washington dying, uh, among other things. But uh, but and we had plenty of moments this season. You know, mm-hmm. Fort Wayne, the moment after the game when they beat Indiana, John Kaufman's interview. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fantastic. That's on there. To me, UCLA announcing its return to the national conversation, national relevance by beating Kentucky. Cal almost never loses at Rupp Arena. So be sure to check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. It was fun to put together. It was, it was a beast to do, but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And now we turn to 2017. I don't know if it can top 2016, but we can give it a chance. And certainly this season's off to uh, a fantastic start. You can find that column, of course, at cbssports.com. Uh, com. I want to talk about Texas in just a minute. Lost again last night. I want to look ahead to tonight's game, uh, games between Virginia and Louisville and Oregon and UCLA. But first, uh, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or for that concert or show that you want to attend. And none of the older ticket sites, they, they don't seem interested in changing that. But SeatGeek is different. They've created an amazing app and website that makes it easier than ever for fans to buy and sell tickets. SeatGeek is always uh, the first place I go uh, when I'm looking for tickets to a game or a concert. It's the app I use to 
see Guns N' Roses this past summer. It's the app I used to see Kanye's St. Pablo tour in the fall. It's the app I'll use next time I want to attend anything. And it's the app you should use too because SeatGeek does all the price comparison for you uh, by searching multiple ticket sites. And that way they ensure you get the best possible deal. In other words, SeatGeek does the work. You save time and money. And if you use the promo code COLLEGEBB, that's COLLEGEBB, you're going to get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So get on it. Download the SeatGeek app. Purchase tickets. Use the promo code COLLEGEBB and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code is COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. It's been a uh, pretty uneventful past week in college basketball. A lot of that is because Christmas happened to fall on a weekend, which gave us basically no weekend games. That's very rare for the month of December. Um, But it gets back going for real tonight. And there were a couple of interesting games uh, last night, which was Tuesday night, of course. Uh, The most, uh, I think, notable result uh, was Kent State beating Texas because it is now uh, a, a second home loss to a, a non-power school uh, for the Longhorns. They're six and six overall. They've lost to Arlington, uh, which Arlington's pretty good. You know, when we sometimes we end up talking about this team lost to Arlington, that team lost to Arlington. Like Arlington beats a lot of people, uh, but still, like Texas shouldn't be losing to UT Arlington. So they've lost to Arlington at home. They've lost to Kent State at home, and they're now projected by Ken Palm to finish dead last in the Big Twelve. What do you make of what's happening at Texas right now? Because I think you could reasonably call them the most disappointing team in America. Uh, Connecticut's been disappointing, but some of that's injury uh, related. Uh, a lot of it's injury related. Michigan State's been disappointing, obviously injury related. Um, you know, Texas is just bad, and they've been bad from the very beginning of the season. I was very wrong about Texas. Thought this team would be about a five seed. Didn't think losing Isaiah Taylor would have this much impact. Thought Jared Allen, who's been good, I thought Jared Allen would would be better on the whole and and certainly uh, more of an impact player. I thought Shaka's system in place, the guys he had coming back, the schedule they were facing, um, I thought they would have take some losses in November and December, um, but maybe maybe three at most and really uh, find their groove in Big Twelve play. The Big Twelve on the whole, I think, is. Not as good as it was last year, although it's done well out of conference, but we'll see. As for Texas in general, yeah, um, shocking that they're projected to be the worst team in the league. Um, not having a point guard seems to be a huge issue. I mean, that Taylor being gone is proving to have a bigger effect on this team than I than I anticipated, but you I have could, no problem you, saying. You could maybe argue that no program – is suffering more in America from an early draft decision than Texas is from Isaiah Taylor's decision. I I truly believe this wouldn't cure all ills, but I'm telling you, if I I truly believe that if they had Taylor, they'd be a three loss team at most right now. Cause when you watch them play, they do seem uh, certainly out of sorts. They're, they're also young. um, And maybe two years from now, they're they're much better for this and they're they're able to get you know the young guys are able to get older and and texas will be a a top team near the top in the big 12 but you said it i mean that's a that's a really rough loss uh shock is certainly enduring more challenges this year like oftentimes when a a guy's in shaka's position when he leaves uh, his old job for a, a big time job you know you're usually inheriting that because 
the the job itself, the players have left, the coach is leaving a bad situation, the cover can be dry. So the year he's having now is usually the kind of year you have in your first year, but that hasn't been what's happened whatsoever. I still think they'll be able to pull out at some games against some good teams. I, I do really like Jared Allen overall, but this has been very surprising. Uh, I did not see this coming whatsoever. We had Texas ranked in the preseason. That was something like, for instance, I wouldn't have ranked Syracuse in the preseason, but you did, so we had him ranked. We disagreed there. Syracuse is even worse than I would have expected. But we were both in agreement when it came to Texas and UConn. UConn has, has some issues, but uh, yeah, the Longhorns, to me, are the most disappointing team in the, in the country. You bring up um, Syracuse. That would be the other, uh, certainly the other option uh, if you're trying to find most disappointing season, uh, team to date, uh, Syracuse and Texas. You touched on it. They, they are young, and they're not young like Kentucky's young. I think sometimes folks look at recruiting classes and they go, it's a top five recruiting class. Like They're going to be great. There's a massive difference between the number one and number two ranked recruiting class and the fifth ranked recruiting class. There is a massive difference between – I say this all the time about individual prospects, like at the high school level. Like there's not a big difference between a kid ranked 60th and 80th. There's a massive difference between a kid ranked 1st and 20th. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And, and, yes. and same thing. Like if you're going to be young in college basketball, at the, at the power, really at any level, but certainly at the power conference level – if you're going to be young, you have to be young with with lottery picks. You have to be young with like like Kentucky right now. They're young. I, I think in terms of inexperience at Ken Palm, they like they rank in the 340s or something. Like they're, they're they are genuinely in terms of the minutes that are being played by Kentucky players, they are among the the youngest teams in a, in America. But they've got three probably, you know, I don't, you know what? I actually don't know if Bam Adebayo is a, a lottery pick. Everybody always says that. I don't, I don't, I don't think that anymore. But like, that's a conversation for another day. They got three first round picks at least, right? Whereas, you know, Texas, yeah, they've got the fifth ranked recruiting class in America, but um, only one top 30 prospect in that group. It was Jared Allen. And uh, so I guess my point is this, if you're going to be young, you need to have, you know, like three top 15 players. Not one top 30, because if you've got a top five recruiting class and only one top 30 player and you're relying on all freshmen and sophomores, which is what they're doing, their top five scores are either freshmen or sophomores, um, we probably should have seen this coming. Not this. This is like you shouldn't be losing to Kent State at home. Um, but it's hard to be good in college basketball when you're young without elite prospects. And Jared Allen might is a really good prospect, I guess. But, you know, he, he's the only top 30 player in this freshman class, and it, it's showing. Yeah, we'll see what comes of it later this year. Um, I, I, yeah, they're not going to be in the tournament. Um, they'll oh. they'll struggle to get to the NIT as well. But I I do think that they have enough there that if Shaka rallied them, it wouldn't totally surprise me if they did it. But uh, but you hit the money on that absolutely. And then real quick, GP, Michigan State did get it. Yeah. I mean, listen, this is the reality. I tweeted. I did not expect to write this, but I'm telling you, Michigan State beating Minnesota was a crucial win to Michigan State's NCAA tournament hopes. Because entering last night before that game, it was not projected to be an NCAA tournament team. It might not even still be right now. Minnesota had the game on its home floor, was a six-point favorite. And, you know, a lot of factors go into it. But if you want one broad takeaway, that's why he's Tom Izzo and that's why he's Richard Pitino. Because there's so many years Whoa, of experience. Woo. Listen to me. Let me finish. There are so many. Patino can grow into a great, great coach. But Izzo has so many years of experience 
and he's got a depleted roster, but he can occasionally just pull out games like that. Not that Patino can't and won't. He probably will. But sometimes you just – that is what that – like I'm telling you right now, if you replaced Izzo last night with just an average coach overall, Patino wins that game. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. I mean, Izzo's, yeah. Izzo, it just seemed like an unnecessary shot at Richard. I'm not all. taking a shot at him. Like <laughs> – Patino's fine. He's, he's having a great year. I swear I'm not taking a shot at Richard Patino. I'm simply complimenting Izzo. And it's just like there are so few coaches in that situation in that game that could have pulled out the win. Like there's just no doubt about it. Hall of Fame coach, he goes and he gets it. Let's keep an eye on Minnesota here um, because they're having a great year. But Big Ten play is going to be very different for them from what they faced so far overall. That would have been a huge win for them. Um, but, yeah, Michigan State just, you know, gets a, a much needed win on the road in conference play to kind of to keep momentum as best as it can. And now we look to Wednesday night, GP, a couple of good games. Yeah. Two good games. So like a lot of good games, but two involving uh, top 25 teams. One is uh, number 12, Virginia at number six, Louisville. That's at seven Eastern. The other, and this is one I'm really looking forward to number two, UCLA at number 21, Oregon. That starts at nine Eastern. Um, Virginia Louisville, like, I guess I'll take the the home team in that one. I I think these are two comparable teams. Obviously, they play in vastly different ways. But in terms of, like, if you were putting teams in tiers, I think they're they're both, like, in the same tier. There's the same quality of team. Either one could finish first or fourth in the ACC, and it would not surprise me. Um, So anytime you put these two teams together in this particular year, I would just take the home team. So it's at the Yum Center. I, I, I suspect Louisville will win what is a close game. I think Louisville's going to win. Virginia's got, in my opinion, a top 10 resume. So does Louisville at this point. Virginia's only loss was at home to West Virginia. Um, kind of bizarre. West Virginia handled them. West Virginia's only lost once to Temple. Um, Virginia got a win against Cal last week, GP. Back-to-back road wins is a lot to ask. Not that they can't do it, because they certainly can. But after seeing what Louisville did against Kentucky which is certainly longer, more athletic. Let's remember Virginia, which is still succeeding in the post-Austin Nichols era, not that there ever really was one at Virginia, um, could be very, very close. Louisville ranks as the number one defensive team in America per possession on Kempom. Virginia is number two. So, yes, don't expect this game to crack. Uh, what do you think? The, I wonder what the over-under is, GP. If I had to guess... I don't know if you have easy access to this or not. I have always ha- I have my access to this. <laughs> I'm going to guess. My access right, to this is too guessing. easy, unfortunately. I'm going to guess. <laughs> I wish it was more di- under I wish it was more difficult for me to access this. <laughs> oh man. I'm going to say it is give me 124.5. That's my guess. 124.5. It is it's actually not posted on my site of choice. Um, oh well, well. Well, yeah, they don't have an over/under number on that just yet. What is what's going on there? Let's uh, let's see what Kimpom's got. It Kimpom's got a final score fifty nine fifty seven. One fifty. Well, so we got what one one eighteen there. Yeah. Um. Well, well, one sixteen, right? Okay. Who can we add? It's one hundred sixteen, right? Fifty nine fifty seven. Isn't that one sixteen? I hope so. No, that is, uh, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. One hundred sixteen. Thank God. Oh, brother. Let me pull uh, out my seems, calculator here. That seems low to, yeah, you're right. that seems low to me overall. Okay, GP, you don't need to break out the calculator. I got it. It's 116. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. I'd take the um, over. I'm willing to take the over right now. I would take the over on that, without a doubt. Yeah, 124.5. I think, 
I think somebody. I think somebody gets to the sixties, right? Somebody's gonna get to the sixties. Yeah, I would think so. I would think so. But Virginia, I mean, good lord, they've held people real quick. Fifty-one, thirty-two, thirty-eight, thirty-four. Granted, that was Grambling State. Forty-one, fifty-two, sixty-one, fifty-seven, fifty-three, thirty-nine, fifty-two. The only team to crack sixty against them was Ohio State. No other team has gotten to sixty except West Virginia and win. Right. Um, but I'm talking, yeah. So two teams total, only one team that uh, that lost got above 60. I will say Louisville gets to 60 on its home floor. I, I would say Louisville gets to 60 and wins what will be a close game. And then the nightcap, UCLA at Oregon, biggest test for the Bruins since they went to Rupp Arena uh, and won. They are obviously undefeated, still ranked second in the country. Also, just to uh, sort of underline what you and I have been saying for a while now, which is that there's nothing fluky about the win at Rupp, and this is a legitimate national title contender, this UCLA team. Uh, if you go to uh, uh, you know the various sports books right now, uh, Duke is still projected as the favorite to win the 2017 NCAA tournament, but second on the list now is actually UCLA. They're not just number two in the polls. They, are, they have the second best odds in America to win the 2017 NCAA tournament. That suggests that... Um, Las Vegas thinks a lot of them as well, uh, and it, it, they're favored tonight, like a slight favorite, two, two and a half points, but they are favored on the road against the team that was predicted to win the Pac-12 in the preseason, and if they are able to get this, yeah, they still got to go to Arizona, yeah, they still got to go to USC, um, and no, I'm not talking about an undefeated season, but like, there's only so many places on the schedule that it looks like they're at real risk to lose. Like maybe like four or five, uh, you know, road games are always tough against quality opponents. But like, I, I mean, if they win tonight, like you're starting to talk about a, a UCLA team that might only lose two or three times before Selection Sunday. Like they, there's you're not overreacting. Yeah, there, there's not a lot of losses on their schedule. If they go in tonight, I, I'm really intrigued to watch this game. Super intrigued because I want to see how Oregon responds. Oregon's, you know. Been mostly under the radar this season, 11-2 and two right now. Dylan Brooks is healthy now, but he didn't start the season. They haven't been as good as expected. They've lost to the two best teams that they've played. Baylor and Georgetown's the second-best team uh, that they've actually gone up against. So a big-time game for them. If UCLA goes in, beats Oregon by double digits, I mean— Geez, it's going to feel like you should call the Pac-12 because if they're able to do that in a hostile environment against a team that I think is top 25 good and is the second best team in the league, like I think Oregon's better than Arizona and I think it's better than USC, then what are we to believe that anyone else is going to be able to take down UCLA when it opens up its conference play on the road and if it were to win by double digits? If it doesn't, that's good for the league in general. Like it, It's better, I think, to have some uh, drama at the top if you get Oregon to win have a little bit of doubt there. USC is still undefeated. Arizona has been better than I think people expected six weeks ago. We will see. Uh, that should be a fantastic game. Um, but if UCLA wins, it's still undefeated. And then, yes, we, we really start to look at what they're going to be able to do in league play, how many losses are even realistically on the table for them overall. But, yeah, and, and Thomas Walsh should be back. So UCLA right. should be at full health, full strength for that game. It's definitely, uh, it's definitely worthy. A 9 p.m. tip. Won't end too too late, which is good. I, I'm I'm genuinely pumped for it. I, I'm I'm very eager to see how Oregon responds here because I think it's a big big spot for them. So uh, in the two biggest games tonight, I'll take uh, I'll take Louisville minus the points, and I'll take UCLA minus the points. 
I think the Bruins and Cardinals uh, both win. The higher-ranked team wins both of those games, but uh, they should, you know, I think the point spreads on both are, are one possession um, in either direction. So, like, it's it should they should come down to, you know, under four minutes to play. We've got a tight basketball game, so it should be fun. And the, and the, the tips are staggered. So you can like actually like on one screen watch both of them again seven Eastern for Virginia Louisville and nine Eastern for UCLA Oregon. So you guys watch those and then meet us back here on Friday and we will discuss and look ahead uh, to the weekend. Remember you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all for listening and uh, like I said we'll talk to you again on Friday. Till then take care. I know, I know. You've been listening. You've been waiting for it. You didn't think we would forget, did you? Okay, so we kind of did, but that's what we have post-production for. So here it is, the moment you've been waiting for. Shout out to Devin Downey. Nailed it.